Welcome to Love Bites. Love Bites. Love Bites. By Dr. Tara, your destination for sexual wellness and mindful relationship advice. Hope you're having an orgasmic day. Have you ever wanted an STD test but didn't have time to go to a clinic? Now there is a solution. Let's Get Checked has an at-home STD test with fast results. It's simple. You order your test, collect your sample, and receive your accurate results online. They also provide medication at no extra cost for most states. There are also other health and wellness tests for men and women as well. Check out Let's Get Checked. The link is in my episode description and the discount code is Dr. Tara. And have a worry-free orgasmic time. Hi, loves. So who doesn't want love and affection? We all want love and affection, right? That is why I'm so excited for our guest today. Today, we have Dr. Corey Floyd, who is a prominent scholar and researcher in our field. Uh, and actually, he came up with a theory called affection exchange theory. He's currently a professor of communication at University of Arizona, and he is just so well known as a researcher. So I'm very excited to have him here today with us and to share his wisdom about love and affection. Hi, Dr. Floyd. Thanks so much for having me. I'm just excited to get started. Shall we start with the first question? Let's go right in. So uh, let's talk about your work and the theory that you came up with, affection exchange theory. I personally know how prominent it is because it's in every single textbook that I have used as a student and as a professor. So I just want to know more. Can you tell us, and of course, my audience too, uh, who may not know affection exchange theory, uh, can you tell us more about that? So one of the things that you notice when you start looking around at people and especially at their close relationships is that we all have our ways of showing affection, of showing love to other people. And we do that in our romantic relationships, of course, in our marriages and in our partnerships, but we also show affection to our children, to our parents, to our friends, to our dogs, to anybody who matters to us. And although the ways that we show affection vary from person to person, from family to family, and even from culture to culture, it's really a universal that everybody shows their love somehow. We all do this mm -hmm. in one way or another, which suggests to somebody like me that the tendency to be affectionate is more innate than it is learned. So we learn how to do it, but we don't learn to do it. We have that ability sort of built into us when we come into the world. And affection exchange theory is just an explanation for why that's true. Why might we have evolved the tendency to be affectionate in our relationships? And my explanation for that is that it benefits us, mm -hmm. is that it's not only good for our relationships when we show affection, it's also good for us as individuals 
in terms of our health and our well-being. Mm-hmm. So uh, a part of this theory, well, I guess uh, the main part of this theory is that like neo-Darwin thinking, right? The perspective. How does that come into play as you constructed this theory? Well, Darwin uh, observed many, many decades ago, mm-hmm. uh, quite some time ago, that among all the things that human beings had to pay attention to, mm-hmm. the most important, the two most important things were survival and reproduction. Mm-hmm. Survival, because if we don't survive, then none of our other priorities really matter much. Right. <laughs> that's why the song I Will Survive is I will number survive. One. <laughs> that's right. That's why we have to do that. And number two, uh, because if our species doesn't reproduce, then eventually we go extinct. So these two priorities, he said, were superordinate. They were above all other priorities mm-hmm. that we have in life. We have to attend to these two things, survival and reproduction, in order for anything else to really matter in our lives. And affection exchange theory carries that same assumption with it, that if something is adaptive in a Darwinian sense, in an evolutionary sense, then it needs to contribute to one or both of those priorities. And so a lot of my work has been focused on considering how being affectionate might help our survival, might mm-hmm. help our reproductive success. Um, so that's where the that's where that thread of Darwinianism comes in. It's so interesting. So would you say being affectionate definitely facilitate us surviving? Oh, it absolutely does. And like you and will not survive th- if you don't receive and give affection. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. (laughs) What I said is that if we are affectionate, that helps us Mm -hmm. to survive. And the way it helps us is by making us healthier. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we know from my work and and the work of others in this field is that people who are affectionate in their lives are healthier on average Mm -hmm. than people who aren't. Most importantly, Affectionate people have an enhanced ability to manage stress. Mm. And stress can be a very destructive force in our lives, as anybody who's been chronically stressed knows. Oh, totally. It's not good for us. Mm-hmm. And so, affection is one of the things, it's one of many things that can actually help us reduce and manage our stress so that it doesn't have a lot of the negative effects on us mm-hmm. that it otherwise might and as a result of that people who have that that affectionate experience in their life and have a greater ability to manage stress are just better off they're just healthier mm-hmm. and therefore more likely to survive that makes a lot of sense uh we kind of went right into affectionate exchange affection exchange theory and i just wanted to ask in general uh, like what is affection affection uh, by itself is actually a feeling it's a, a more more like an emotion that we have for someone or something toward whom we feel love we feel attachment we feel attraction so 
I have a lot of affection for my spouse, for mm-hmm. my parents, for my friends. You know, I have a lot of affection for my dog. Mm-hmm. I have a great deal of affection <laughs> for ice cream. <laughs> it can really be anything or anyone <laughs> that we feel a sense of love to. And then in our field, in communication, we think about the ways that people express that. So mm-hmm. what are affectionate behaviors, actions mm-hmm. that we take to communicate that love and attraction to someone or something else? Mm-hmm. So social media and mass media often talk about like love language. Do you think that would be categorized under affectionate communication or affectionate behaviors? You know, I really think it can. Uh, it's an interesting idea that uh, that individuals have different ways of preferring mm-hmm. that affection be shown to them. Some people really like. To be told, "I love you," "I care about you," mm-hmm. "You're the most important person in my life." Those words mm-hmm. uh, are very valuable to some people. Others would say, "You know what? You can tell me you love me all day long. What I look for is for you to show that mm-hmm. through your actions. I want you to do things for me mm-hmm. that make me feel loved and appreciated." So. It's not uncommon, certainly, that people have preferences about how mm-hmm. affection is shown to them. And when you're in a relationship and you prefer something different than your partner is used to doing, that can very easily cause confusion and dissatisfaction. And that's mm-hmm. that's pretty common in relationships. I, I have had a number of people tell me just anecdotally. That uh, boy, my spouse, my partner, the other person in my life just just doesn't get it mm-hmm. when it comes to to showing me affection, and I'm just ready to put my foot down and and demand that they do it the way that I want. <laughs> I hear that pretty often. Me too. You and me yeah. both. I what I hear too is. Uh, I've talked to some married couples. I've been married at least 10 years, and what I've noticed is one spouse would say that you know uh, that they haven't received a gift in like five years or eight years, and that they feel unspecial because, like, not because of the gift itself, but the act of like thinking about me and you know spending time outside of us like looking for something for me do you think that is a valid point like receiving gifts a valid point of like some type of affectionate communication oh gosh yes and and like you pointed out it's not so much about the gift itself it's about the thought that went into it the intention uh which in this case is an intention to honor and appreciate the other person Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like when we say about gifts, it's the thought that counts. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're expressing here. It's the fact that people are missing that thoughtfulness. I want my partner to be thinking of me and to uh, to undertake some effort mm-hmm. to pick out a gift and wrap it for me and present it to me and think about how they're going to do that. It's all of that thought. Mm-hmm. That really hits home to many people and makes them feel 
um, loved and appreciated and cared for, regardless of what the gift actually is. Okay. What about mutual gifts? I always tell people don't buy mutual gifts on like a, as like a birthday present or a Christmas present. Like don't, don't be buying me a vacuum cleaner (laughs) (laughs) or a coffee machine that we use like in our household. Cause I don't feel like it's specially for me. Right. Right. Yes. When I give you something that's just as much for me as it is for you, uh, that can feel really self-serving. Now, I think there are some exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one would be, for instance, if I gave you a vacation that we were both mm-hmm. going to go on and enjoy. Um, I think that can be you know, a terrific thing to do because what you're buying there is an experience. What you're buying there is True. time together and something that you can enjoy together. Um, and so that could be the kind of gift that, uh, even though it's a mutual gift, it really is very special and beneficial, but yeah, buying somebody, a, a blender, <laughs> a vacuum cleaner, not only is it uh, a little self-serving, it's also just really pragmatic <laughs> and, and not you like leave the really, romance out the door. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. Not everyone's really going to feel special. <laughs> about getting, you know, a Hoover. Or, <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, I'm so interested to know, uh, what do you think are some interesting research findings based on affection exchange theory, uh, your work and other people's work? I'll tell you about a study we did very recently. And the question behind this study is, is the tendency to be affectionate something that we pick up from our environment um, such that if we grow up in a very affectionate family, we learn to be more affectionate or do we inherit that tendency from our parents genetically? Ooh. And my theory would suggest that there's at least a portion of that tendency that is genetic rather than learned mm-hmm. because that's how adaptations work. We acquire height or intelligence or strength or certain personality characteristics from our parents, partly genetically. Uh, If my parents were particularly smart or if they're very extroverted, let's say, there's a genetic component to those things that I would then inherit as a child of those parents. Mm. So the way to answer that question in a study is actually to look at pairs of twins. Mm. So in this study, we surveyed a bunch. We had almost a thousand people in the study, a bunch of pairs of what we would call identical twins, right? Two people who came from the same fertilized egg Mm -hmm. and are therefore essentially a hundred percent genetically similar. Mm -hmm. And pairs of what we call fraternal twins who came from two different fertilized eggs and therefore are no more genetically similar than regular everyday siblings. Mm -hmm. And the way that we look at this is we ask both twins in each pair how affectionate they tend to be in their close relationships. And what we're looking for is the degree of similarity from one twin to the other in each pair. 
Because if something has a genetic component, if it's at least partly inherited genetically rather than wholly learned from the environment, what we would expect to see is that two twins who are identical are more similar to each other in their answer to that question mm-hmm. than two twins who are fraternal. That tells us that whatever it is that we're studying is at least partly genetic or partly heritable, as we would say. Ooh, I'm so Now here's what we hear. found. Okay. I know. It was partly what we expected and partly a surprise. So what we found is that for women, the tendency to be affectionate in their close relationships is about 50% genetic, which means that the variation from woman to woman is about half due to their genetic inheritance and about half due to the environment. Wow. That they grew up in. And of course, the environment includes things like their family, what kind of friends they had, Mm -hmm. the media that they watched, Mm -hmm. um, the kinds of teachers they were exposed to, things like that. Anything that they encounter in their life can be part of their environment. Um, And the other half was was genetic. For men. Holy shit. 50% sounds like a lot. (laughs) It's not uncommon, actually. Wow. A lot of a lot of personality variables are about 50% genetic and so this is more of a behavioral variable. Mm-hmm. Uh but we actually were not surprised right at that finding. Here was the finding that surprised us. And that was that for men it's 100% environmental. What? 0% genetic. And when I say zero, I mean zero. Whoa. There was there was no heritability. There was no genetic component to how affectionate men were. It was 100% learned. Wow. Wow, that has so many meanings and I guess consequences. <laughs> well, I don't know what it means. <laughs> We had to think long and hard to come up with an explanation and here's the explanation that we proposed and that explanation is that affection benefits women and men differently there's a theory out of health psychology that says that women evolved the tendency to be affectionate in part because women's bodies respond to affection in ways that help them and help their health mm. and in ways that are different than than men's bodies um and so if that's true then it may help to explain why women inherit mm-hmm. that tendency more than men do because it does things for women that it doesn't do as much for men So I don't know if that idea is true, but it could help explain why women inherit their tendency to be affectionate more than men do. For men, it really is all about the family they grew up in, the media that they watch, things in their environment that shape 
the kinds of people they end up becoming. I grew up in a super affectionate family. Mm-hmm. Like we were just, we were all over each other. <laughs> Hugging, up. kissing. Hugging, kissing. <laughs> I love you. It was just, it was so <laughs> common and normal in my family. And I'm a super affectionate person. Mm-hmm. So for me, that environment, um, it sort of shaped who I ended up becoming. That's so interesting. So if a boy, like let's say a teenage boy, has difficulty giving and receiving affection, a lot of it would mean that his environment hasn't been affectionate. It very well could be, or that affection wasn't rewarded mm. in his environment. It wasn't encouraged. And, you know, a lot of men would say that, mm-hmm. that when they were growing up, um, and particularly as they were, influenced by their fathers, Mm -hmm. they received messages from their environment like being affectionate is feminine, being affectionate Mm. is girly, don't Mm. do that, act like a man. Mm. And so even if people in their family were affectionate, for them, it wasn't rewarded. It wasn't encouraged. Mm. It was Mm. maybe even discouraged or punished. That message, act like a man, Mm. can discourage a number of boys and young men from doing anything that they perceive to be feminine. And that absolutely can include showing love and affection for other people. Oh, my gosh. Hashtag toxic. (laughs) It absolutely can be. Yeah, it absolutely can be. Because then what, what can happen is that when men grow up and and develop relationships of their own, romantic relationships, when they become fathers, they don't always have the tools. They don't always Mm -hmm. have the language or they're not always comfortable with the behaviors of showing affection to a spouse or a partner or to their children. And then particularly with their children and particularly with their sons, Mm-hmm. then that cycle can perpetuate. So okay. if I had a, a father who told me to act like a man and, mm-hmm. you know, don't do this girly affectionate stuff, mm-hmm. then that can be a message that I grow up and communicate to my own son. Mm-hmm. And then it just perpetuates that cycle. Okay. So for everyone that's listening, who is uncomfortable with affection, uh, what would you say, like, how should they start unpacking this and becoming a little bit more and more? You know, it's a, that's a really, really important question. One thing I would say is that if people are uncomfortable being affectionate, that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's not a character flaw. Mm-hmm. It can be difficult in relationships. And many people who have a level of discomfort with affection already know that to be true from their own experience, that they may have partners who want or need more affection. And that can be a source of stress in their relationships, but it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Mm -hmm. That's my point. It's not a flaw. That said, it can be something that people work on. Mm-hmm. And many of us, I mean, many of us have things about ourselves that we would like to change or things we'd like to be more comfortable with. Totally. 
I'd like and to be one, more patient. <laughs> yeah, my goodness. So yeah. would I. So would I. I'd like to have less of an affectionate relationship with ice cream than I have right now. <laughs> True. But, We're you know, all working on something. That's right. We're all working to be better. And, you know, I, th- I think one of the things that happens with affection is that if I'm not comfortable with it and I have a partner who is, that partner can very quickly become impatient with me. And I have heard from so many people who, like I said before, just feel like, you know, I'm ready to just put my foot down and demand more affection from my partner, usually Mm -hmm. from my male partner Mm -hmm. is who I hear that from. And I'll say something like, I'm sure that sounds like a good idea to you to just put your foot down and demand it. But trust me, it won't be. Mm. Trust me, that's not the way to do it. What you need to do with people who are less comfortable with affection is encourage it slowly and gently. Uh, And one of the most effective ways to encourage that is to model it. Mm. So if I have a partner who's not very affectionate and I want them to become more comfortable Mm -hmm. with that behavior, one of the ways to do that is to let them see me be affectionate with other people, with my children, with my friends, with my neighbors, mm-hmm. so that they see that behavior and they see my positive response to it. Mm. That's what modeling is. And it's one of the most effective uh, teaching and learning strategies, social learning strategies that we have. If I want my children, for example, to learn how to be polite, I want to model polite behavior for them. Mm -hmm. I want to do the very things that I hope they will learn how to do. And I want them to see me and hear me behaving in polite ways and then being rewarded for that in Mm -hmm. my environment with polite behavior in response. The exact same principle can work with affection. I think very often amazing advice. Well, very often people who are uncomfortable with affection have had negative experiences with Mm. it in the past. So they associate being demonstrative of their feelings with getting negative messages Mm -hmm. in response, messages like stop doing that, be a man, right? So what they need to see is that affectionate behavior in the environment they're in now will bring positive reactions from the people around them. And that's how the other people in their family, their spouse, their children Mm -hmm. can be effective. They can model that behavior for that person. Mm -hmm. And over time, it starts to, it starts to create new connections in that person's mind, Mm -hmm. connections between affection and positive Mm -hmm. response rather than negative. Yeah. So talking about um, affection. I know, and I've read that there's a lot of benefits to mental health and physical health to receive affection. Can you talk about some of that? Absolutely. Like I said before, the biggest area in terms of health where affection benefits us is with respect to stress. So I don't know about you, but I sometimes have stressful days and Oh, (laughs) I know. Are you shocked? (laughs) And when I have a very stressful day, one of the things that 
helps me overcome that stressful experience is getting a hug from somebody, having somebody put their arm around me, tell me that they care about me. When I'm in the middle of a stressful experience and I get that kind of behavior from somebody else, it's like all my stress just melts away. It just Mm -hmm. flows right out of my mind, right out of my body. And it's not because that hug or that affection is changing anything that is stressing me out. It's not changing anything that has gone wrong in my day, Mm -hmm. but it's changing everything about the way that I feel about it. Mm. And so the fact that I feel like all this stress is leaving my body suggests to me as a researcher that something's happening in my body Mm -hmm. that is producing that kind of sensation, that kind of calming, stress-relieving, pain-relieving sensation that my body is experiencing. And it turns out that there is. It turns out that giving and receiving affection, especially when we're stressed out, has a marked effect on things like my stress hormones, hormones like cortisol Mm -hmm. in my body. Uh, It's having a marked effect on my immune system. And on things like my blood pressure and my heart rate, in all of these ways, what that affection is doing is calming me, is Mm. quieting me, is returning me to a normal baseline level of stress. Mm -hmm. And what we found in my lab is that affection does this faster than almost anything we've compared it to, faster than sitting quietly faster than thinking about our loved ones, faster than doing something to distract us. Wow! It has this remarkable ability just to quiet our minds and quiet our bodies and allow us to let go of a lot of that stress. And here's the most remarkable thing about it. You get that benefit, not just by receiving affection, but also by giving it. So a piece of advice that I share with others is that when you're stressed out, you don't have to wait for somebody else to come give affection to you. You just go and share it with somebody else and Mm -hmm. you will benefit just as much as if you waited for somebody to come share it with you. You can be very proactive about it. And it's just remarkable what it does to us in terms of our ability to recover from stress. And therefore, to recover from a lot of the health problems that are associated Mm -hmm. with stress. Mm -hmm. Things like high blood pressure, for example, or difficulty sleeping. Uh, There's there's any number of things that go along with being stressed out that that have very negative effects on our health. So if we can cut that off at the stem, right? If we can reduce our experience of stress in the first place, then there's lots of health benefits that flow from that. Wow. Affection is powerful. It can be. Absolutely. And not just for our physical health, but also for our mental health. Yes. So I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed out, one of the things I notice is that I am a lot more pessimistic about Mm -hmm. everything in the world. Yeah. Angry. Um, Angry. I I lose hope. Mm -hmm. I feel just very negative about everything that's going on right now and everything that might happen in the future. Mm -hmm. And yet, when I'm sharing love and affection with other people, 
it's just the opposite. I have this amazing sense of optimism. I have this amazing sense of patience Mm -hmm. with other people. Uh, I'm willing to overlook um, other people's faults, my own (laughs) faults, right? I just am in such a better frame of mind. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we think about mental health, we think about things like anxiety, Mm -hmm. uh, depression, um, the things that really can impair our mind's ability to interact with the world in positive ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm more outgoing when Mm -hmm. I'm affectionate. So I feel less of a sense of withdrawal. I feel less lonely. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so many things that it does for our mind in addition to what it's doing for our body uh, that make it, it, it just, it just makes affection very powerful. medicine. Yeah. That's amazing. So I gotta, I gotta jump over to the dark side a little bit because we're not in the perfect world. And a lot of times what I have observed or what my students have told me is they feel they have received what they call fake affection. Mm-hmm. or someone manipulatively show them love and affection. So how can we spot fake affection? Well, you know, genuine affection tends to come from relationships in which we feel that sense of love and connection with that other person. There's an emotional undertone to the behavior. And so that's the first warning sign is when you're is when you're receiving affectionate behavior with someone that you don't have that underlying emotion with. Mm-hmm. That can be the first clue that maybe they are showing you this affectionate behavior for some manipulative purpose mm-hmm. uh, because they want something from you or they want to manipulate you in some way. And it's remarkably common to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a study a number of years ago that showed almost 90% of the people in my study admitted that at one point or another, they have shown fake affection to somebody else for some, for some ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Interestingly enough of the 90%, almost 90% of people in that study who said they had done that almost two thirds of them said they had done it at least once within the previous two weeks. Oh, So it's a very common behavior. Um, Now, the good news is that when I asked those people what their purpose was, what was your motivation for doing that? It wasn't all self-serving. You know, there were those people who said, yeah, I told this other person I love them because I wanted to sleep with them or because I wanted them to lend me money. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times it was just because I felt that was something that they needed to hear at the time, mm-hmm. uh, or it seemed like we were headed toward a conflict and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to derail that. So it wasn't all entirely negative, entirely mm-hmm. self-serving. Um, but I think one of the other ways that you can spot that is when it tends to coincide with some kind of request. Mm. And anybody who's been around children, of course, is is very familiar with that that <laughs> sequence of behavior when a kid, you know, um, tugs on his mom's pants and says, I really love you, mom. And mom looks down and says, what do you want? <laughs> right. We all get it. You know, we all understand. 
um, that kids do that. And of course we grow up to do the very same thing. I really love you. Can you, uh, you know, can you lend me a hundred bucks? Um, when, when it's clear that there's some, uh, there's something else that the person wants in that moment, in addition Mm. to showing you that affection, uh, then, then of course that can be another clue, but you know, using affection in a manipulative way is not the only thing that can be problematic Mm. about affection. It's not the only way that you can sort of cast a dark side on this behavior. Another way that's very common Mm -hmm. to people is when the affection comes across as unwanted, when it comes across as um, sexual harassment, let's say, mm, or even yeah. sexual, ab- sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, affection is as a behavior, like I said before, that we typically associate with very loving relationships, mm-hmm. right? We don't tend to be affectionate with strangers or people we don't know well, particularly with people we don't like very much. Mm-hmm. And so when the behavior occurs in relationships that don't have that underlying emotion to them, it's very often unwanted. Mm-hmm. It's very often unwelcome. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would right? say it's gross. <laughs> well, I mean, many people have had that, that experience where somebody else has hugged them and instead of making them feel warm and mm-hmm. loved and good, it makes them feel creeped out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I'm like in my mind, I'm like, get off me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, in those situations, affection is not stress alleviating. Mm. It can, it can be stress inducing. True. Right. So I always tell people when I talk about the health benefits of affection, that none of what I'm saying is a recommendation for you to go out and start hugging people on the street, (laughs) right? That's not going to lead to better health. No. That's likely to lead to incarceration, <laughs> right? <A> lawsuit. <laughs> sort of the opposite of what you want. Um, no, it's going to be stress inducing. And so, you know, because it's a behavior that often is very intimate, it's very personal. When somebody mm-hmm. hugs you, they're in your personal space. Mm-hmm. And we don't tend to let just anyone mm-hmm. into our personal space willingly. Um, And so it can feel forced. It can feel like it's been forced upon you. Totally. Um, And when that happens in a workplace, it can be sexual harassment. It's just something that we have to be cognizant of. And then I'll add one other, a third way uh, that affection, even in very positive, close relationships can be problematic for your health of course, is that when you're in people's personal space, you can share bugs with them. That's why we don't tend to kiss people when we're sick. Mm. Right. And so a lot of us are very cognizant of this right now in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a viral pandemic. We know that if we are positive for that virus or really for any virus, Mm -hmm. uh, we need to be careful about being in other people's personal space. Mm -hmm. We need to be careful about being close to them, about touching them, about hugging or kissing. 
because anytime we do those things, even if it's a very positive behavior emotionally in that relationship, there is an increased likelihood of transmitting, um, you know, a communicable disease. Yeah. Something as mundane as the common cold or something as problematic as, as COVID. Yeah. Um, so we have to be careful about that. And, and that's where verbal affection can become really yes. valuable. If I can't hug and kiss you at the very least, I can tell you how much I care about you. And that's why totally. things like Zoom and Skype have been so important for people in their relationships during this pandemic time. Yes, you can call your friends, text your friends. Uh, all of that is available, especially That's right. if you're sick, not necessarily just COVID, if you're sick in general. That's right. That's <laughs> awesome. right. Awesome. Uh, my last question is in the more creative realm. I wanted to know what are some non-traditional or creative ways one can express affection? Because I know we can say, I love you. We can do hugs and kisses. What do you think are some uh, creative ways we can express affection? My favorite category of affectionate behavior is what I refer to as idiosyncratic behavior. And what that mm. means is that if you and I, Tara, are in a relationship with each other, you and I come up with some way of showing affection where when we do it, you and I are the only ones who understand it Ooh. as affection. It's kind of like we come up with our own language. That's cute. So my spouse and I have what we, what's called, it's called an idiom. <laughs> or an idiosyncratic way of showing affection. When we want to show affection to each other, even when we're around other people, but we want it to be private, we want mm -hmm. it to be only understood by us, we say to each other, you look nice. Mm -hmm. So that's something that you might say to somebody else in almost any context. And so it has one meaning. It has a literal meaning, mm -hmm. which is that you look nice. You mm -hmm. look very nice right now. But when we say that to each other, what we're Ooh. really saying is, I love you. <laughs> oh. Okay? And so I think it's fun when couples come up with, it can be verbal like that. It can be a saying, uh, or it can be nonverbal. It can be a gesture. Uh some little behavior that you do, but whenever you say that thing or do that thing, you and the other person understand that it has a whole other meaning in your relationship. And it's very relationship specific. Nobody else knows. I love but that. You, but you know, and that's what's special about it. That's so, so cute. So couples, you know, I think you can get really creative with that. I mean, it, yeah. it literally can be anything that you do or say that has that meaning to you, but, but that's <laughs> where that creativity can come in. Um, the other category of affectionate behavior that's actually more meaningful to many people than hugging and kissing and saying, I love you is the category of, of supportive behavior. So mm -hmm. when I want to show you that I love you, I I do something for you that you need to have done. 
And, uh, and I'm doing it because I love you, because I care about you. And I know that you will interpret it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that can be anything from getting the oil changed on your car to mowing mm-hmm. your lawn for you to uh, giving you a ride to the airport when you need mm-hmm. it. Anything that I do out of love for you mm-hmm. and that I know you will interpret that way. Number one, it's helping you out in some very pragmatic, instrumental way. way. Exactly, exactly. But it's also reinforcing that you and I have this close, caring relationship because I'm not just mowing everybody's lawn (laughs) or changing everybody's oil. I'm only doing this for you, dear Tara. Yes. Because I care about you so much. Um, And like I said before, many people say, you know, anybody can tell you that they love you. I look for people who show me yes. that they love me through their actions, through what they do. Yes. And so that makes that category of behavior. It's not particularly romantic. It's not super sexy to mow your lawn. Uh-huh. Oh, or in other, uh, in other contexts, maybe. <laughs> in other, it depends on what I'm wearing at the time. <laughs> However... Even if it's not super romantic, it can be super meaningful, mm. right? Yeah. Because it's thoughtful. I'm thinking about Tara. I'm thinking about what does she want? What does she need? What can I do to make her life better mm-hmm. in this moment? And then I go and do that thing. It's very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's not, you know, it's not, you're not going to find a, a Hallmark card dedicated right. to, to oil changing, but people, the recipient of that kind of behavior may feel like, oh my goodness, that was so meaningful to me. Yeah, that it means a lot. That for me. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Wonderful. This has been so educational and fun to hear from the creator of affection exchange theory. Um, I'm going to move forward into our segment called 10 Quickies with Dr. Tara where I'm going to give you a word and you just give me that first response. Are you ready, Dr. Floyd? You know, you and I have never had a quickie before. So I, <laughs> I, I'm very excited about this. This is 10 quickies. Oh my goodness. All right. I'm ready. All right. Number one, sloppy kisses. And I'm supposed to say something that I'm thinking of when I think yeah, of like this? Yeah, like anything at all. It could be educational. It could be just oh, a personal my. response. It could just be... Sloppy kisses, you know, I think of my dogs <laughs> immediately. All right. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so, so that, that makes me feel very happy and good. Nice. Uh, number two, saying I love you on a first date. Risky. Risky. Number three, BDSM. Don't tell your mom about it. <laughs> number four, prolonged eye contact. Oh, um vulnerability that makes me think of vulnerability number five sex as affectionate communication boy uh i'm kind of all over the place on that one it can it can be very um loving and meaningful um it can also be a form of fake affection like we were talking about before people have to be careful about that one in the sense that if you've shared sex with somebody, it can be remarkably easy to conclude that they love you or you love them. Right. And and neither may be true. Yeah, because it could just be recreational. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, number six, 
polyamorous relationships? Oh, not for everyone, but but for some. Yes. Number seven, foreplay. Essential. Number eight, too much affection. Oh, uh, that's a real problem. <laughs> number not, nine. Not a made up one. Yes. <laughs> number nine, Darwin. Uh, controversial, but right. Mm, and last but not least, number 10, tell us, Dr. Floyd, love. Love is oxygen. Oh, I love that. What a great way to end this episode. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Floyd. Before you go, any plug? Uh, I saw that you have a book. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, I have a book that's been out for a couple of years, and it's about loneliness and what happens when we don't have enough affection in our lives. I mean, lives. it's a and great it's, time to be talking about, I mean, reading that book. It is. And a lot of people feel that way, especially in the last year or so. It's called The Loneliness Cure. And it talks about a lot of the things that you and I have visited about today. But what do you do when you're not getting those needs met in your mm -hmm. life? That's really the point of it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Floyd. You are so welcome. Thanks so much for having me. How amazing would it be if you don't have to hold your vibrator? Let me introduce you to Eva by Dame, hands-free vibrator. Eva is a hands-free, waterproof couples vibrator that gives you clitoral stimulation during penetrative sex. You're going to feel so good while Eva stays out of the way so you can focus on the moment. Use the link in this episode's description to the product page and use my discount code Dr. Tara for 10% off. Have an orgasmic time. Thanks for listening. This was, this was Love, Bites Love Bites by Dr. Tara. Follow Dr. Tara on social media at lovebites.co. Have an orgasmic day.